0: Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians. Let's go to the New Testament. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, and then you get into the Eons, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then you get to Galatians, then you get to Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians, and, and go with me to the last chapter of Ephesians. We're going to be in a series of sermons over a few weeks on this, this last farewell this, the final words that Paul writes in this letter to the church at Ephesus. We're going to spend a few weeks there, and the the series title is going to be Stand. And, and again, later on in the year, we're going to be talking about this issue of walking with the Lord as a church, walking with the Lord individually. But before we can get to the point of walking, we've, we've got to stand. It reminds me of the old preacher who was standing in front of his congregation, and man, he was just getting after it. He was feeling on fire that morning, and he was talking about everything that the church needed to be about and everything the church needed to be doing. And he said, this year, I want to see this church walk. And he had one of the ameners in his congregation. Every church has at least one or two. Amen? Amen. Everyone's got one or two. Amen? Amen. There we go. And he said, "I want this church to walk." And he heard an amener say, "Let her walk, preacher, let her walk." And he said, "And this year, I want to see this church run for the Lord." And he heard an amener say, "Let her run, preacher, let her run." And then he said, "And this year, I want to see this church fly for the Lord." And the preacher said, "In order for this church to fly, it's going to take money." And he heard an amener say, "Let her walk, preacher." Let her walk. (laughs) And it's because there's a truth that if you're going to fly, in order to fly, you've got to be able to run. In order to run, you've got to be able to walk. Well, what Paul is going to show us in this letter is before you can walk, you've got to be able to stand. And even backing up from that, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. We're only going to look at one verse this morning. We're going to start off with verse 10 that talks about being strong in the Lord. And it's because before you can fly, you've got to run. Before you can run, you've got to walk. Before you can walk, you've got to stand. Before you stand, there's got to be a strength. And we all know that. We, we see it. It's the way God made us. We, we get to see a baby. And man, isn't that wonderful? A baby's born, a family, you gather around, you put the baby in the middle of the room, and everyone just sits around and watches it. Isn't that wonderful? It's just such a cute thing. You just sit there and watch this little baby. Well, at at about three or four months old, that baby is going to have started to get enough strength in the core and in the arms. And all of a sudden, one day, they're going to roll over. And you remember, you were out of the room. You turned around for just a minute. You came back in, and they they were on their back, and now they're on their stomach, and you rejoice. They've rolled over. And now as you remember that baby's now in a position, they're on their stomach and now they're trying to figure out how do you get back to where you were. And so eventually they've got to start developing the neurological things that have got to be going on, the agility, the coordination to be able to flop back over. And then around five or six months, if you remember, they're going to have the core strength to be able to sit up. And you remember that core strength is necessary because the first time they sit up, you remember it, it's, oh, oh no, they've gotten in timber, they're gone. And so they've got to develop that core strength. And boy, there's a lot of balance that's going on in coordination. And then eventually, they're going to one day go from sitting up. They're going to kind of flop over, and they're going to be on their stomach, and you'll see them push up. And before you know it, that baby's crawling, and they crawl over to a coffee table, and they pull up on the coffee table. And then one of those days, they're standing there, and usually there's something on the coffee table that they grab. Hopefully it's a toy. And they're standing there holding that toy, and because they're focusing on that toy, they don't notice they are standing on their own by themselves. And before you know it, they take that first step. And then once they get to walking, there's going to be that point at which they're able to start running. And, and it is a truth that life skills are a progression of movements. One builds upon the other. That baby had to be able to roll over because four is going to be able to sit up. Before it can sit up, it had to be able to crawl. Then it had to be able to stand up on its own and it had to be able to stand on its own before it could take that first step. And then that walking enables it to then develop a further skill of being able to run. Tonight, there are going to be world class athletes on a field. And they are going to do extraordinary athletic abilities. It's going to be amazing what we're going to see tonight. As a matter of fact, even if you don't watch tonight, even if you're just watching the commercials and a football game breaks out, whatever. Even if you just, every once in a while you're watching the news and they show a highlight of an amazing thing, we marvel at the ability that these individuals have. We go back to Super Bowl Forty Two, and I think we've got a clip of it. Does anyone remember the Eli Manning to David Tyree, the helmet catch? Do we have that? And so here, oh, it's amazing, first of all, because you think he's getting ready to get sacked. He launches this thing, David Tyree catches it pins it to his helmet with one hand and falls. Let me encourage you this afternoon (laughs) that if that doesn't, if you're not marveled at that, go home and and find a helmet. (laughs) It can be a bike helmet, motorcycle helmet. If you don't have a helmet, get a a large mixing bowl (laughs) and duct tape it to your head. And then get out on the street, and you say, well, no, you should do it in a lawn. No, 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 where they're playing is about as hard as a street, that AstroTurf. Take off running as fast as you can. Get someone that will stand 40 yards away from you, and they're going to throw a hard football. Don't use a Nerf football. Use a real football. They're going to launch a football 40 yards at you. And that football, because it has traveled 40 yards, the the best it can figure out is that that football, by the time it's coming down, it's traveling anywhere from around 35 to 50 miles an hour. And I want you to jump up and try to pin that ball against your mixing bowl on top of your head. And to to complicate it even more, if you could find a dozen people to join you in this, (laughs) because you need two or three people to be chasing the person who's going to throw it at you. Then you need eight people who are screaming their lungs out, just standing there beside you. And then you need one person draped on top of you doing everything they can to try to keep this from happening. That is what just took place. But what is so marvelous about that? Is did you know that Eli Manning and David Tyree, at some point in their life, all they could do was lay on their back. And at some point then, they were able to roll over. And then they sat up. And then they crawled. And then they got over to a coffee table. The same progression of movements that takes place in us took place in them. Folks, we read the early chapters of Acts and we see the church just exploding. 3,000 people added in one day. And then there's a verse there at the end of Acts chapter 2 that says, and every day they were adding people to the church. Did you know that that same progression of movement that that church was able to do is the same progression of movement that we're able to do? The Lord that designed his body of Christ to be able to receive people every single day is the same church that's active today. The same church that Jesus Christ loves and gave himself up for is the same church that we are today. And in order for us to see God do such amazing things, it is a series of progression of movements. We've got to be strong in the Lord. We've got to be able to stand in the Lord. Stand against the schemes of the devil. We've got to be able to stand and then you see us start walking. And then we're running the race that the Lord has set before us. And every single one of these, the Lord is able to do. And he wants to do right here in us. And so we hit 2020. And boy, there's something about that number. Because, you know, years, a few years ago, we did a long-range planning, and we were looking ahead to Vision 2020, and then here we are all of a sudden. We are in 2020, and so as a church family, we're going to be going through a process this year, all of us, of, Lord, where are you taking us? What is the focus that you're calling us to for 2025? Over the next five years, God, what is it that you want to do? And folks, for years, Praise the Lord. We've been able to see 50, 60, 80, maybe 110 people get baptized. But what if the Lord was calling this church family, that what if we saw 200 people being baptized every year? What if we saw discipleship happening, not just on Sunday morning at 845, but that during the week there's one-on-one discipleship that's happening among the church family. And we became a church where disciples of Jesus Christ are making disciples of Jesus Christ. What would that look like? That we would give, that we would look back on being able to see the Lord use us to give $650,028.93 to world missions. To where we rejoice one year that we gave a million dollars so that people around the world would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That it's not just every month we're sending out a mission team, but pretty much every week we end the worship service by praying for a team that's going somewhere here in Oklahoma City, in Oklahoma, in the nation, or around the world. And so where does it start? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Listen to the words of Scripture. Paul writes these words. He writes, finally, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. One more time. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, may we see you. Lord, I pray that anything distracting in me that people would remove because, Lord, I so desire for them to hear from you. Lord, do a mighty work. Lord, I pray that you, you taught us in Ephesians 3. Lord, we pray that you would do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Lord, just like at the eight you led someone to come and be a part of this church family. Lord, I pray that now as we enter into this time of worship leading to an invitation that, Lord, there would be a great moving of the Holy Spirit in this place. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. And may you receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Finally. Paul writes the word finally. It's an interesting word in the Greek because in the Greek it means it comes from the root like, that means residue or remnant. And, and, and it's, it's very similar to what we write. Whenever we mean finally, what we mean is not just here's the last thing I'm going to say, but take into consideration everything that has gone before it. And so tonight, two teams will come onto the field and they're going to warm up for, for quite a while. And then if you notice, even if you go to college games, all of a sudden they, they run off the field. They head to the locker room. And there's this last opportunity that both coaches will have. And he's going to probably, I can imagine, go all the way back to like July of 2019. 2019. And he's going to say, guys, if you remember when you first started coming back into training camp and we started getting our minds wrapped around beginning the season back up, he's going to go all the way. He's going to start talking about all those lessons, all the practices, all the drills, all the plays, all the repetition that they've gone through. All has been leading up to this moment. And then he's going to say, and then guys, finally. Here's the last thing I'm going to say to you. It's here's the remnant. Here's the residue. Meaning that there's been this large thing. And here's the final piece. And so he writes, finally. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And that finally helps us to understand how we do that. That finally Paul is saying, based upon everything that has been written in Ephesians up to this point, take all of that and understand that is the foundation upon which I say be strong. And so here's point number one. Your foundation determines the strength of your stand. The foundation makes all the difference in the world. And so what is the foundation that Paul is calling us to that he says be strong in the Lord? Well, back up with me to Ephesians 1. So stay right there in the same letter. And if you remember, if you're new here, if you need a Bible, boy, grab one in the back of the pew there in front of you. Go to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to look at verses 9 and 10. And so they'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible or, or if you'd rather look on the screen. But, uh, but always look, take your phone, your pad, whatever it is, and look here. Ephesians 1. What is What is this whole thing that Paul's been writing about? Well, Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10, look what he says. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Paul wrote the church at Ephesus a letter. And the reason that he was writing that letter is he wanted to put on display the scope of God's eternal plan for all of humanity. And you say, well, you mean for all Christians? No, no, no. He's writing to put on display the scope of God's eternal plan for all of humanity. And if you're thinking, well, that's that's amazing. What is that plan to unite all things under Jesus Christ? That all things, everything, all creation, everything in heaven, everything on earth, every individual, because someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the God's, God's plan is that all things would be united under Jesus Christ. Well, wait a minute. Well, that sounds very familiar to Revelation 7, 9 and 10. We just looked at Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. Look on the screen at Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After this, I looked, John writes, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In other words, that's the ultimate fulfillment of what Paul's writing about in Ephesus, to the church of Ephesus. He's saying God's plan is to unite all humanity under Jesus Christ. So players are going to walk onto a field tonight, and all of those players are going to realize someone tonight is going to win, and someone's got to lose. They're going to walk on the field knowing that. Someone's going to win, and someone's got to lose. Folks, did you know that we walk onto the playing field of life every single day with the knowledge that not someone's going to win, someone's going to lose, but that in Jesus Christ, the battle has already been won. That's the foundation that we stand on. In Jesus Christ, I can enter tomorrow understanding why I can be strong in the Lord is because someday everything's going to be united under him. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so what we're appealing to you then, come to that knowledge now. Now. Come to that don't live of all of eternity separated from the one under whom all things will be united someday. Come to him. Don't spend an eternity in hell separated from Christ. But instead, live life in the strength of the Lord. And so Paul says, finally, because your foundation will determine the strength of your stand. Ephesians 1 says, look at all that God has done for you. Be strong in the Lord. Ephesians 2 says you have a position right now in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of him, so be strong in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3 says God has included you in his plan. So be strong in the Lord. Ephesians 4 says God has given us a conduct that we can live. We can walk worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. So be strong. Ephesians 5 says live in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Therefore be strong in the Lord finally you wrap it all up that's the foundation upon which we stand man I'm so thankful for the way the Lord was leading Sean and us singing this morning he will hold me fast he is our shield and our defender and that means tomorrow morning I can get up Because I'm standing on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Friends, my heart has broken over the death of Kobe Bryant and and the eight others. And folks, if you're thinking, well, I didn't know you were a Lakers fan, I'm not a Lakers fan. Well, I didn't know you were a Kobe fan. I wasn't a Kobe fan. That doesn't mean I didn't dislike. I'm just saying I wasn't a fan. But our heart ought to break over that. How does his wife, his widow, how does she get up in the morning? What is it, that's the type of news that literally buckles you. How do I stand? What foundation is there in your life If your foundation is based upon, well, I've got money in the bank. That's one of the first things Daniel said to me after we got that news. Isn't it amazing how hopefully people will understand wealth doesn't keep you from dying? What is your foundation? Your foundation will determine the strength of your stand. And then secondly, your strength has to You have to understand your strength is not in yourself, your strength is in him. That's why Paul writes, finally, comma, be strong in the Lord. And stop at that very first verb there, Paul writes, finally, and then he writes, be. He didn't say, do strong things for the Lord. He said, be strong in the Lord. And there's a big difference between doing and being. As a matter of fact, look at the end of chapter 6. Look at the end of chapter 6. At the end of his farewell, uh, I believe it is, I've got to put my glasses on to see numbers, verse 21. Look what Paul writes right there in 621. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. He shows that there's a big difference between being and doing. Paul doesn't write, so finally, do strong things. He's saying, be strong. Be is a being verb. It means who you are. And if you're thinking, well, I'm not necessarily strong all the time. I'm not either. But I know one who is. You see, in order to be strong, there's got to be a whole different being in me. In order to be strong, I've got to have the one who is strong living inside of me. I, there's got to be a whole diff- whole change in me. I used to recruit for OBU. I was telling that to our Idabel friends up there. I used to recruit for OBU back in the 80s. And one of the areas I recruited in was Idabel. Um, and so that's how we knew some some folks in common. I remember, Dr. Potter, every time I would bring a student onto campus, a prospect, and they were interested in pre-med. And so pre-med students who were prospects always got to talk with Dr. Hurley. And boy, Dr. Hurley was a long-time biology professor at OBU, and, and boy, he was just, a, he was a large man, gentle as, a, as, a, as a, they came, but boy, he was pretty intimidating, And so I would bring that prospect in, and they would sit down with Dr. Hurley. And I knew this was going to happen every single time. Dr. Hurley would ask the student a question, what do you want to be after you graduate? And they would say, I want to be a doctor. And he'd say, no, that's what you want to do. You want to do doctoring. I'm asking you, what do you want to be? And they'd say, "Uh, an orthopedist. No, no. That's what you want to do. I'm asking you, what do you want to be? And eventually he was trying to get them to the point of understanding, well, I I, I want to be kind. Okay, now we're on the right track. I I want to be helpful. I want to be generous. I I want to be Christ to people. Okay, then you've come to the right place. I want to be Not doing, in order to be, we have to have a whole new being. And so that's why Paul writes be. And then he writes be strong. And the Greek word for strong there is endunamis. Endunamis. It's right there, endunamis. And you're going to recognize the dunamis, because that's where we get our word dynamite, which means power. But what Paul does for this word, he puts an en in front of it, which is simply the Greek equivalent of our n. He's saying be, not be dynamite, not be power, but be in power in the Lord, which means that in the Lord has got to be in you. And so my wife and I just got gas last night at the at, at, uh, filling station. And so it's amazing now how we're able to pull up, and you don't have to get out of your car. You just pull up next to the tank, and you sit there for about, it only is about a minute and a half, and then you drive off, and you're filled up. Isn't that the greatest thing in the world? And if you're thinking, well, I'd love to have that. Well, did you know it doesn't exist? You have to get out of your car. You have to grab the nozzle. You have to poke it into the car. And the gas has to transfer from here into the car in order for it to have power. Folks, we can show up on a Sunday morning and we can sit here and just say, Well, that was a wonderful time. Glad I came. And never once see the power of God come in us. And so what's happening out there this morning in your heart? Have you just pulled up and I'll sit here for a little while and then I figure that just by osmosis somehow I'll just pick up a few things here or there. Folks, we've got to allow our hearts to be open and the power of the Holy Spirit control us. Be strong in the Lord. And those three words right there make all the difference. I'm so thankful that Paul did not write, finally, be strong. Because that is the world's advice to us. That's what the world says to us. It's the world's advice and it's the worst advice, which makes it the world's worst advice, is to say to someone, "Well, be strong. And so Tommy this morning, Tommy Merritt, our, our new senior adult minister, he went to go pray with one of our senior adult women. She fell this week and has broken hip, probably a broken wrist, maybe even a broken shoulder. If he walks into her room, I want you to picture now. He walks into the room and he says, how are you doing? And she says, well, to be honest, I'm, I'm scared. I really am. I'm very scared. And Tommy says, well, be strong. Okay. Thanks for coming by. <laughs> you walk by your bedroom and you see your student, junior high, senior high, sitting there and you can tell something's wrong. What's wrong? I've got to make a speech tomorrow in class and I, I'm, I don't want, I'm, I'm going to get up there and freeze. And you say to your student, be strong. And so what if your student were to say, okay, I will. How? How do I be strong? And so all, we're then re- all we can resort to is we say something like, well, when you get up in front of that class, you just say to yourself, I'm good. I can do this. And I'm not going to be afraid. And I'll just, did you hear what I said? You say to yourself, And it's the world's advice that everything that you need is just within you. You don't need God. You just say to yourself. Friends, what your student needs to hear, what that woman that Tommy prayed for this morning needs to hear is the Lord is with you. And he will hold you fast. It is not dependent upon how much you're able to hold on to the Lord because I want you to know that you're in the Lord's hand, you're in Jesus' hand, and Jesus is in the Father's hand, and no one, nothing can ever snatch you from the Father's hand. He will hold you fast. Be strong in the Lord. Folks, why do we need to be strong in the Lord? If you take off reading there in verse 11, it says the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, we're wrestling against authorities of cosmic powers, this present darkness. Uh, verse 13, the evil day is coming over and over again. It's talking about spiritual conflict, spiritual warfare, that the roar, the, the Satan, is, a roaring lion is seeking whom he may devour. He's out there. That's why we need to be strong in the Lord. He is the source of our strength. He is our hope. Folks, I can't stand up here and say, well, boy, I'm I'm, going to show you how strong I am today. That's not going to work. My wife and I got to walk down the streets of Palm Springs where my brother lives, and they were doing a street fair type thing. And where, you know, they're selling goods and produce and all that stuff. But one of them was this display, and all it was was a chin-up bar. And what you do is you pay twenty dollars, and if you can hang for two minutes from that bar, they'll give you a hundred. Twenty bucks. Hang for two minutes. And so I stood in front of her. I'm standing and I mean I'm thinking, okay, first of all, I was trying to think, do I even have twenty dollars? because I never carry money in my wallet. Can I, do I have $20? And then as I'm standing there, she's, it was kind of a state fair type thing. She said, hey, you. And I thought, okay, she's going to call me out. And she goes, hey, you, in the white coat. It was a guy standing behind me. She had looked at me and thought, there's no way. She was willing to put down 60 herself. That wouldn't last 20 seconds. We're not strong in ourselves. Be strong in the Lord. And here's the last thing. It says, and in the strength of his might. Did you know that the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same resurrection power that can keep you to From falling into sin. It's the same resurrection power that can keep you on walking the straight path. It's the same resurrection power that can get you to open your Bible. And to read it. It's the same resurrection power that can get you to fall down on your knees before the Lord and pray. It's the same resurrection power that can compel you. To go to that person that you've been scared to death to talk to. That same resurrection power. Ephesians chapter 1. Here's the last thing. Ephesians 1 verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. It's the same exact word that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You're saying right now, Pastor Doug, I just hope I have the strength to break free from this addiction because it sure seems like Satan has the upper hand. I want you to know the power that could raise Jesus from the dead is more than enough power to set you free. There's, a, there's an old painting from the early 1800s And it, it looks like this. The name of that painting is Checkmate. It's by a painter, uh, Frederick August Moritz Ritz, R-E-I-T-Z-S-C-H, early 1800s. And, and what it is, it's, uh, it's a young man playing chess with the devil. And you can see that there's kind of an a confidence in the in the devil, but the young man looks forlorn. the angel is there to depict that this chess game is for that young man's soul. And when it was originally painted, Reed's titled it The chess Players. It later became known as Checkmate and it's because based upon the pieces that are there. What Reitz was trying to show was that the devil had him. Checkmate. You each have 16 pieces. You've got to keep the king from getting captured. And at the point where the king has no other move, it's checkmate and you've lost. And that's what it became known as. I researched this because I wanted to make sure it was true. That painting, a copy of it, was hanging in a man's house. And there's actually a newspaper account of it from 1888. And a man who was a chess champion named Paul Morphy was in that man's house, and he stood there studying that painting. And he asked the man who owned the painting, he said, do you have a chessboard here? And they got a chessboard, and they put the pieces just like it is in the painting. And Paul Morphy kept looking down at the board and then he'd look up at the painting. Then he'd look down at the board and look back at the painting and he kept looking at it and all of a sudden he turned the board around and he spoke to the young man in the painting. He said, young man, the devil doesn't have the last move. You've got another series of moves you could do and you can win this thing. Satan will not have the last move. Satan will not have the last move. The victory has been won. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It will put you to bed tonight. It will wake you up in the morning. It will get you going each day. It will enable you to live victoriously. It will keep you from walking into sin. The power of Jesus Christ is the foundation upon which we stand. Know that power today. Come and give your life to Jesus Christ. You may need to recommit your heart. What is the Lord calling you to do? Our Heavenly Father, bless your holy name. Lord, move in a powerful way in this invitation. Lord, may people be called to pray, to recommit. Lord, may someone be saved today. Lead people here and call us out, Lord. Call us into the fields. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? As the Holy Spirit leads in this time of invitation, we're inviting you to be obedient to the Lord and you come